Warning, this episode contains foul language, discussion of wild animal attacks, brief mention of cannibalism, and a whole lot of weird owl. To Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, risky, cheesy, dark, animalistic, wild, feral, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with each other from across the country or with a very special guest and we talk about something weird. And this week is going to get super weird, staying on brand, but it's also going to feel very different. This is the very first time in Keep It Weird history that I, Lauren Ogle, have hosted by myself and released an episode without our dearest host with the most, Ashley. Our producer and expert on all things weird is not here with us for tonight's episode because our girl has been busy. She is producing and working hard on this show that we know and love, but is also showing up for her new venture on Losers Club Podcast, which you should all be listening to. If you're not, what are you even doing? And she's been hosting some film festivals in Chicago, super casual NBD. She's got it going on. So all that is to say, hello, you are here with me, and we are about to give you a very, very special episode with some of our absolute favorite people in the world as our co-hosts for tonight. They are from our absolute favorite podcast, Movies That Made Us Gay. It's a big old collaboration episode as we dive into film history, just the way they do on their own fabulous show. But for us, it only feels appropriate to dissect the movies that made us weird. The movies that made us weird. What films from our childhood or even just a few years ago feel like a straight up fever dream? What content made us the weirdos we are today? Boy, oh boy. We have a lot to talk about. This is going to be a bizarre and marvelous episode. My name is Lauren, and tonight I would love your help in welcoming from movies that made us gay, our dear friends and weirdos, Pete and Scott. Hello. Hi, weirdos. Hi, weirdos. Hello. What's going on, you guys? Hey. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for being here. And we just saw you because you were just on our show, so. I know. Happy to be on yours again. I just appeared on Movies That Made Us Gay. If you haven't listened to the Jennifer's Body episode, you should absolutely check it out. That was so much fun. I know I keep saying it to you guys, but truly, (laughs) I feel like I I just Mm -hmm. kept texting Scott like, so was this a blast for everyone else? Because I had a blast. Like, it was so fun. Feeling no. mutual. Yeah, it was It was definitely fun. And I think our listener, our listeners liked the episode. It got some good numbers. I also so love that movie, too. Time. So yeah. I'm glad that we finally got to talk about it on our show. That was the most important part, is that we all are lovers of that movie. And we only Absolutely. briefly talked about it on our show. So that was so yeah. good. But thank you and guys And I feel like having... Jennifer's Body is the kind of movie that maybe some kids right now that are way too young to watch it, but watched it anyway. When, yep. you know, when they grow up and get a little older, they might look back and think, 
I should not have been watching Jennifer's Body at that age, but it sure. definitely made yep. me the weirdo cuckoo magoo that I am. The weirdo today. I am today, which is exactly what we're going to be talking yes. about today. My gosh. We, yeah, so we met and we did the Jennifer's Body episode for movies that made us gay. Mm-hmm. Freaking blast, if I haven't said it yet. Um, but we talked about that night. What if. Scott and Pete came on our show and we talked about the movies that made us weird because we all have those movies that we watched when we were way too young. Like they, they just felt a little off, but we also kind of loved them and they formed us into the strange, bizarre, but also completely cool people that we are today. (laughs) And it just, it's such a good idea. I'm so excited we're doing it. And I, I hope all of our listeners also write in with their movies that made them weird because I'm like, this is going to be a whole discussion, especially on our Facebook page. I feel like people are going to get crazy, but Scott and Pete, I want to hear. Yes. What made you weird? I want to hear. Oh, I think Pete, goodness. are you going to kick us off? I mean, this was so hard to narrow. Yeah, down. Yeah, it, it was hard. <laughs> How do you narrow I, it down? Like, there's so. Yeah. I ended up not picking a movie from my childhood too, which was weird. I was very on the fence with yeah. a few, with a few of them, but I ended up picking a movie that I had only seen until like five years ago. That's why I included that in the intro. I was like, wait. Pete or Scott yeah. straight up picked a movie that he saw like kind of recently, <laughs> but also that counts because I didn't see yeah. oh, totally. sleep away. I said this wrong. I feel like when I was with you guys, it is sleep away camp, right? Sleep away camp. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see sleep away mm-hmm. camp until I was an adult and it's oh, still same, same for me. Yeah. I watched it in college, probably yeah. like the, I don't know, ideal party age to yes. get around, like yeah. get together with your friends and have some drinks yeah. and watch yeah. Sleepaway and Camp. Watch yeah. Sleepaway mm-hmm. Camp. Yep. That's absolutely when I watched it as well. And I'm so thankful that I didn't watch it yes. as a child because I think I wouldn't just be a weirdo. I think I'd be traumatized, <laughs> possibly institutionalized. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't know that yeah, I would be well. <laughs> I don't think our video store had Sleepaway Camp. Oh my goodness! When I was growing up, or else I probably would have rented it, be me- have been mentally scarred from it, and then also obsessed with it. I was going to say you well, and Ashley are two mm-hmm. of the people that absolutely would have watched it at way too young of an age because she is the queen yeah, of doing yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so when we were tasked by you, Lauren, to come mm-hmm. up with the movies that made us weird, because this is kind of the um, one of the like thesis of like our show is you know these movies that kind of turned us into the people that we are today again that we watched when we had no business watching right um you know as far as like weirdness goes i really like i feel like oh yeah like um blue velvet it's so weird it's like yeah that's weird. everybody knows that's weird all right we get it but i mean when i wanted when i talk about like weirdness i'm talking about like nitty gritty like 70s la like you know dirty low down like you're watching this and you're like is this a porno (laughs) i don't even know like Mm -hmm. is this a real movie like i should not be watching this like how is this on tv right now i love it like i found it in a box in the woods (laughs) and (laughs) i found it while i was camping with my friends and then seven days later our pictures were really blurry and one of my friends died yeah (laughs) You know, you know what I mean? So I'm talking like crazy, sketched out, weird stuff. And um, I mean, the movie that I did ultimately 
ultimately end up choosing is uh, a movie called UHF starring Weird Al Yankovic. Yes. The ultimate weirdo. <laughs> the yeah. ultimate weirdo. And the, the ultimate weirdo. And the thing is, I feel like, you know, it again could be one of those things that like, oh, UHF, it's, it's a parody movie. It's like, it's like, you know, airplane and, you know, a scary movie and all that. And well, yes, it yes. is. It has those parody elements. Their uh, Weird Al does come from the like real nitty gritty weirdo fringe of comedy. Yes, he absolutely you know? does. And there are people in this movie that kind of are from that fringe comedy world that um, that I want to talk about, and that's kind of why this movie has stuck with me for I'm so, so long. I'm so happy because... you chose it. It's so good. It like it <laughs> yeah. it reminds me of my childhood, but also it was so fun to rewatch yeah. it in preparation for this episode, where I was just like, man, like yeah, uh, this all of the memories <laughs> are coming back, but also I was like, I kind of love this weird fringe comedy, and I love all of the cast members. It's incredible. Oh my goodness, this cast is great. Yeah. Um, so UHF uh, was released in 1989. It was directed by Jay Levy and it stars Weird Al Yankovic. And Al plays George Newman, who is uh, habitually unemployed, yeah. can't hold down a job. Um, but it's just because he has these this fantasy life that he just kind of gets lost. In. I was thinking of the secret life of Walter. Yes. Mitty. Very secret absolutely. life of Walter Mitty. Especially yeah, how absolutely. it begins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, it, you know, again, it starts off on a straight up yep. Indiana Jones yep. parody. So you're watching, you're like, okay, right. this is a parody movie, you know, <laughs> Kentucky Fried movie, whatever. Which also, Kentucky Fried movie is very fringe yes. comedy when you watch it. You're like, yeah. What is this? <laughs> fringe comedy, but I can't really make it past the first 20 minutes of that movie yes and well, that's, that's why it's yeah. good <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes but um due to you know a crazy turn of events george newman um inherits uh, a uhf television station and back in the days of terrestrial television uh, UHF stands for ultra high frequency and they were the channels that like network television was not UHF that yeah. was I think it's VHF um, network television I'm talking CBS NBC right ABC yeah. Fox that was like in LA they were like yeah the low numbers like two mm-hmm. four seven oh yeah ours were <laughs> Oh. oh god. Okay, ours were uh CBS was two, ABC was five, See, and NBC was That was feels yeah. so wrong. Yeah. And then, like NBC has been four. NBC right? has yeah. always been four. <laughs> four. CBS is two. Always four. four it's uh, four in the yeah. East Coast and the West Coast. Yeah. Two, I believe yeah. four in Montana <laughs> was PBS. See? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> And the UHF channels were the ones that were a lot of local access. Here in LA, it was, you know, the Spanish language channels, the Korean language channels, um, PBS. A lot of times PBS is local. So public television is, is UHF. So that's a little right. bit higher up there. Um, and so UHF in this movie is a, is a local channel, just a low wattage antenna. And it has like zero programming on it. And George Newman is just like, Perfect. I can take this television station and make it my you own. Work with it, and you and work with it. Uh, you know, you get a lot of crazy Weird Al kind of parody ideas in there, like Conan the Librarian. Oh my God. Yeah, there's all these that kind of little vignettes funny. of 
Conan well, Librarian, I yeah. still yes, love that. It's clever. Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, like all of Die. these vignettes of this bizarre programming. <laughs> yes. That I'm assuming that they're just making these Yeah. These commercials. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. A thousand mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. Making the commercials. They're using the um the staff at the station, the staff we get, you know, Fran Drescher is in there, a very oh young God. Fran I was Drescher. Like, speaking of loving I feel the like cast, Fran... I love that Fran Drescher. Oh. Fran Drescher saying this job really sucks <laughs> is just me at work <laughs> yes. every day. Her her this character introduction really also is kind of it's amazing. It's phenomenal. Of like, you just see her at the desk. Yeah. How we're yeah. seeing her at the desk and she finds out that there's a new station yep. manager and she's just like jesus christ like, like, what are you doing one, to not me? Another i can't one. put up with yeah. this anymore like she's all of us she's yes. perfect yes <laughs> um there's also the uh, rival network affiliate station that is out to crush you you know channel 62 it's channel 8 again they're in the network they're channel 8 you know, George and, and friends are Channel 62. Channel 8 is out to crush Channel 62. And, you know, hijinks and hilarity ensues. <laughs> but I want to talk about a lot of the kind of straight-up stone-cold weirdos that populate Please. this cast. Um, I know. So, okay. So, at the network affiliate, Channel 8, we have the um, the head honcho guy who's played by kevin mccarthy and kevin mccarthy is a fun um he plays rj mm-hmm. fletcher and he, kevin mccarthy i love he's a character actor he's got a very specific kind of not a high-pitched voice but like he's got a very specific voice he's got a crazy pinched face and you know kevin mccarthy was in the original invasion of the body snatchers in 1956 right yeah right. the movie that yeah. like haunted me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. That, especially yes, that indeed. last shot yeah it's like oh I'm my god yeah. yes um because of that he was in um inner space uh later on in 1987 which we love but mm-hmm. that was definitely joe dante saying i want you know who would be fun to use as kevin mccarthy from the original yeah you know invasion of the body snatchers let's bring him in to play this villain right plays a villain in this movie Cuckoo bananas. Cuckoo bananas, right? for but sure. But what I'm here... Yes. But who I'm here to talk about is the actor that in the movie UHF that plays his son, mm-hmm. right? He is the news broadcaster at Channel 8. His name is Richard Fletcher, and uh, he's played by John Paragon. Mm-hmm. John Paragon is... Oh, my God. Okay. So, John <laughs> Paragon is known mostly for his work on Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yes! He played John B. the Genie. Yep, John B. And he was the voice of Terry the Pterodactyl. <laughs> yes. Pee-wee. Oh, uh, my God. That was good. <laughs> he, I, thank you. He uh, he got a start in the L.A.-based improv group The Groundlings. Uh, ever along heard with Paul of Rubens, it? Pee-wee Herman. I know, ever heard of it. <laughs> mm. uh, along with Paul Rubens, Phil Hartman, uh, Joey Arias, Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Uh, Hello. Listeners, if you are a big Elvira, Mistress of the Dark fan like ours, you might know um, John Paragon. Yes. Yeah. From the beginning of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, he is the weird hitchhiker that she picks up on the side of the road. Nope, nope, nope. John nope. Paragon, that, nope. Ellen, that's not the truth, Ellen. Uh, <laughs> He is the gas station attendant uh, that Elvira blows up. 
and he smoked. You were okay. on the right track. Who am I thinking of? That's I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the writer of the movie. That that is John Paragon. You're thinking <laughs> the hitchhiker is Joey Arias, who is oh. also a Groundlings. You guy. just said Joey Arias. Okay, I said sure. Joey this like L.A. '70s Groundlings scene was like super punk rock. Joey mm-hmm. Arias, who is who's gone on to become a legendary drag yes. performer. Uh, they've performed with. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched. Old SNL and David Bowie is on SNL doing a musical performance and he's like in a dress, like yes. in a business suit. And Klaus Nomi is next to him and Joey Arias is and Joey Arias is on the oh. other side. He was like worked with them to, you know, just LA in the 70s, this like punk comedy. Yeah drag like all this stuff was all intertwined and john paragon was right oh my in there, gosh um, i didn't know that i've definitely everybody. seen that oh yeah. gosh snl was thriving yeah back then. it's just the best oh my god so great so john was nominated for an emmy for his writing on the Wee's playhouse christmas special he wrote the screenplay for elvira mistress of the dark and haunted hills he worked very closely with cassandra peterson elvira mm-hmm. on most elvira projects including her yearly not scary farm performances he also worked with disney imagineering on incorporating improv into attractions at the yes. disney parks yes please and you know to this day they are heavily relying on improv with face characters especially in galaxy's oh my gosh, edge yeah, yeah. Uh, because these characters now not only is it's not just a meet and greet with the photo they fully have to talk to these kids, answer right. questions, you know, and just embody, you know, oh, there's Ray. And then, she, you know, they have a whole, like, it's not scripted. No, it can't not be scripted, even a little you know? bit. So, I, I love that so much. Like, I hope that that, I hope that, that he was like on the, like truly mm-hmm. on the ground floor of that, because that is one of my favorite parts of Disney now. And like Galaxy's Edge yes. specifically, I don't know the name of the character because it's not a character in the movies, but you guys have been there mm-hmm. semi recently as well, where I don't know if you ever see yeah. in Galaxy's yeah. Edge, there's a character that like kind of takes kids under their wing. It's like, there's a female and a mm. male. They're just dressed as okay. if they're in the same okay. world as Ray, but they're not actually from the movie. Sure. And they will mm-hmm. just take the kids with them and be right. like, hey, will you go on this mission with me? And if the parents are cool with it, they walk along. And it's nice. totally exactly yeah. what you're describing, where they improvise and they take the kids along and put on this full show for them. And I mean, maybe it's just me being like a mom and emotional and cheesy, but I'm watching <laughs> it just like, hey, you are so talented the way you're just working on your feet but also this is such a special and cool immersive moment and it's like they're doing that for everyone anyway i just i think that's so cool no even i think even the princesses now so much more than in the past are interacting and and embodying it's so much more and so i like to think yeah i like to think that a little bit of that training comes from john paragon his his groundlings yeah his groundlings framework and you know just his improv skills and yeah we're gonna say yes Mm -hmm. we're gonna say that came directly from from directly you you heard john paragon came up with some of the 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 jungle cruise jokes some jungle Gosh, cruise I jokes. hope so. Those yeah. I mean, good. those those jokes are they're old, old but they yeah, those still are, those make me giggle <laughs> every time. Backside, <laughs> what is it? Backside Absolutely. of water. What is it? <laughs> Backside of water. So, um, unfortunately, John Paragon did pass away at his home in Palm Springs in April of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, he was cremated, and his ashes are currently in Cassandra's possession. And. Uh, she does plan on um, submitting them to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I love, love it. that. But he, you know, he, mm-hmm. yes. But he, um, 
he was never married he never had children and historians will say he it was his choice but i mean knowing what i know of the the circles that he ran in and how long and close of a friendship he had with cassandra peterson and i'm thinking was probably he enjoyed the company of mm-hmm. men uh if yes. you know what we're talking about i was like <laughs> i'm not going to say it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so we you know so we love john paragon i think he's just uh, kind of a legend in that like L.A. improv um, fringe comedy yeah. scene, um, especially from the 70s and 80s. And but I mean, his his work has definitely lived on and he's a big he's got a big role in this movie. He's a mm-hmm. slimy little guy. He trips Billy Barty, little oh, so Billy Barty. That part, <laughs> that part always bums me <laughs> out. Little I mean, little person icon of the 80s, Billy Barty. I mean, name a movie from the eighties with a dwarf or a little person. Yeah. And Billy, Billy Barty is usually found in that cast. <laughs> yes. A thousand percent. Yeah. That I was mean, a sad Bi- moment. That was sad. And his little <laughs> arm was all scuffed up. His little I elbow. Like, Franz like. <laughs> and also, I mean, just like what kind of a funny joke is that the cameraman, the cameraman's a little person. A little and person. it's just pointed up. Like that's a weird uh, out. Like just the yeah. angled up. Yeah. That was yeah. so weird out. Also, I meant yeah. to say this at the beginning, speaking of just weird mm-hmm. out comedy in general, yeah. were you guys raised in a weird, Al house. I bought uh the um I think Eat It. I bought the album that Eat It was on. I loved it. Or it was great. I got the tape. I had the cassette tape. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I the first one I had was cassette. Yeah, yeah. And I, um like a surgeon, I think we might have had like a forty five. <laughs> I forgot about like a surgeon. Gosh, that's yeah, I don't yeah. think that we ever bought any Weird Al albums, but I mean on the grade school playground, like everybody was oh, singing yeah. all of those sure. songs at the time. Yeah. It's like, you it's know, from our childhood. For mm-hmm. sure. But the, the other thing about it too, is that like, Oh, it's parody songs and he's not really writing his own music and blah, blah, blah. Those lyrics are next level genius. Mm-hmm. Clever like, as hell. And to oh piece them together with yeah. the song. I'm like, that is still talent that people are not yeah. understanding. And the, I, the Phantom it. Menace, American pie, like that song. <laughs> There's yeah. so many lyrics that is like, yeah. Oh my god, Pulitzer Prize! Mm-hmm. Give him the give him the Pulitzer. I um, yeah. I just I had to ask because I like had this conversation today while I was at work with some of the other teachers at, at the preschool, which is right. funny that we were talking about Weird Al. But they were like, <laughs> one of the teachers said, "Oh, I was raised on Weird Al," and the other was like, "I don't it. think I really discovered him until I was older." And so it was wow. this funny conversation of some people like grew up singing those songs. They are just yeah. ingrained in their lives and other people were like yeah like i know who he is he's kind of funny and i i truly he i say weird al raised me i know that's an exaggeration but like my sister and i danced around in the living room to like one of his polka mashups because he was like the king of doing like a good polka mashup song we would dance around to that and then still to this day yes the accordion and the big song that he has in this movie, I mean, that's most iconically Weird Al. It's the Je- it's the Ballad of Jed Clampett. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. Ballad of Jed Clampett. It's, it's so the good. Beverly Hillbillies. So good. <laughs> yes. I love it. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, kids, listeners, if you're not familiar, go on to Tubi. It's free. And you can watch the Weird Al show, which was kind of like Pee-wee's Playhouse, but more kind of teen, young adult yeah and there's like really good bands on there well also hansen uh does 
I know, like Ella. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he also has crazy get Judy Tenuta is like always on the Weird Al show. Mm -hmm. And again, oh, yeah. Fringe weirdo comics. Much like my second weirdo of UHF, Emo Phillips. So (laughs) Emo Phillips is a stand up comic. Um, He in uh, UHF, he plays a character by the name of joe early and it's early in the movie when they don't really have great programming yet and he's a local shop teacher and he accidentally cuts his finger off right and it's bleeding everywhere and he has a weird like page boy haircut and he's got this high falsetto voice and he talks really slowly (laughs) and it has a very specific way of talking well that's emo phillips like whole gig right Mm -hmm. so emo phillips he was part of the 1980s stand-up comedy explosion right stand-up comedy was just a huge thing in the 80s there were tv shows everywhere comic strip live half hour comedy hour um that was like the way to come up in the comedy world Every show had a com- uh, stand-up comedy, like, half hour. Right. And every comedian that we knew in the 80s or 90s started off as a stand-up. And um, Emo Phillips was one of them. Uh, it's the stage name of Philip Sultanic. He uh, Emo Phillips was a per- persona that he came up with. He had this page boy haircut he wore these like very childish clothes you know suspender or overalls with like striped shirts and like kind of childish clothes uh his comedy was like like non sequiturs if you think of like a mitch hedberg like yeah yeah yeah. just a little joke that was just like it starts off one way and it ends that's what i love about mitch like i know he got a lot of shit for a while i don't even remember why i feel like people were trying to cancel him but he didn't actually do anything everyone was just like should we be against this comedy and i was like no it is the smartest comedy it's so good it's so good those little one-liners yeah, the way to come up with those one-liner jokes. It's like, why? They don't all have to be stories. Everybody, no. Every comic has a different thing. Totally. And that style of performance, it's called a paraprosdokian. Oh. Look it up. It's a real, real That's word. That's real. It's a, it's a figure of speech where the latter half is surprising or unexpected and causes the listener to reinterpret the first part. Oh. So, so Mitch Hedberg says, like, I haven't slept in, I haven't slept in 10 days. Uh, but that would be too long to sleep anyway. Like, it's a weird, like, th- <laughs> they don't make, a, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> not your best example, Pete. Not my best no, example. Just, I got I'm some kidding. good ones. <laughs> um, what are some good Mitch Head? Oh, uh, I was at a job interview and they asked me, where do you think you'll be in five years? Celebrating the five year anniversary of you asking me this question. Oh my God. <laughs> like, yes. That is, that's like, just Pete. doesn't make any, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so Emo really had these weird little like, but he was kind of off-putting sure. in his delivery because he had that falsetto voice. Not Mitch. Mitch was great. We love him. But Emo right. Phillips had this really weird way of delivering his jokes. And it was this persona that he put on. And not a lot of comics do a full character on stage. It's a whole yeah. other yeah. thing, right? And so Weird Al found him and was just like, I love this guy. He toured with him. You know, he put him in his movie. Uh, he put him on the Weird Al show along with, you know, Judy Tenuta, um, who she, Judy Tenuta had like also an accordion like Al. <laughs> mm-hmm. Perfect thing. And, but she would wear like prom dresses and tiaras and like smeared makeup <laughs> And, like, you know, just yeah. had, like, crazy jokes about, like, 
men or whatever. And just, she didn't actually play the. I know she can play can play the accordion, but she would just kind of like squeeze it and just not really make. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well, Al would just surround himself by these other cuckoo people, right? And so he puts emo in this movie, and um, all of those people kind of the thing that ties them all together uh, and somebody else that's in this movie is Dr. Demento. Mm -hmm. Now, Dr. Demento is barely in UHF, but he is in it. He is is sitting in Stanley's. Yes. He's sitting in the audience of Stanley Spadowski's clubhouse and Stanley Spadowski played by Michael Richards of Seinfeld uh, squirts uh, whipped cream in his mouth. Mm -hmm. And like, that's it. (laughs) But the thing about Dr. That's the whole Mm -hmm. cameo. But the thing about Dr. Demento is that he kind of launched Weird Al and a lot of these other fringe comics into mainstream popularity. Yeah, he's the reason they are who they are. Yes. I mean, we were watching YouTube videos of him today, and he's sort of that classic weird person that David Letterman would just have on. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, (laughs) who was the – it was like him and who was the the comic book artist – who did, oh, American yeah. Splendor. who did American Splendor? Just these yeah, weird yeah. people that just David just thought were just yeah, hilarious. It was like, this yeah. is my weird. humor. Like, I'm bringing yeah. on the weirdos. Yeah. And it, again, it's that absurdist humor. It's that, you know, I just keep saying fringe, but it is. Um, so Dr. Demento is, again, a, a persona of Barry Hansen. He was an American radio broadcaster and record collector who specialized in novelty songs, comedy, and strange or unusual recordings that date from the early days of phonographic records all the way up to the present. Okay, so the Dr. Demento persona was founded while he was working at KPCC in Pasadena mm-hmm. in 1970. Yes, Pasadena. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say, yes. yeah, shout and, out for you guys. <laughs> yeah. He would sprinkle in comedy and novelty songs into an oldies show that he had. And the listener response for the novelty songs was so positive that the station let him spin it off into a, a just a comedy show. And when I say novelty songs... I'm thinking Monster Mash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Grandma Got Run Over by a mm-hmm. Reindeer. You know, these, they're stupid. These songs, they're so stupid. Stupid, but classics. Camp Granada. But, but yeah, Camp, yep. Camp Granada. Camp Granada. Hello, Mutter. Hello, yeah. Father. Uh. All. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just any anything that would be in like Homer Simpson's record collection. Sure. You know, this is all what Dr. Right, Demento. Right, right. These are my records, and then spinning. these are your records, Marge. Marge. Um, so. <laughs> He would play this song called Transfusion by an artist called Nervous Norvis on the air. And another DJ at KPCC, the obscene Steve Clean, said that you would have to be demented to play that song because it was so crazy. So Transfusion is a song about a reckless driver who breaks traffic laws and continuously gets into accidents. And he says, just give me a blood transfusion and I won't drive terribly anymore. And in between these like silly lyrics and him asking for a transfusion, there were sound effects of like car crashes. And this song was released in 1956, and it was just deemed so, like, offensive and in such terrible yeah. taste that it was, like, banned on, like, legit radio stations. Yeah. And KPCC is – it's a college radio yeah. station. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit more underground, so they let him play it. And so that's where the Dr. Demento name came in. And it just kind of stuck, and he liked it. And um, 
the show kind of became popular. It became syndicated. And Weird Al was a fan. Mm -hmm. And when he was in high school, Dr. Demento was doing a tour of high schools. Weirdly. What? And he and he showed up at uh Weird Al's high school and Al gave him a self-produced tape of a parody song that he had made. And Dr. Demento loved it so much. He's like, I'm playing this on the air, played it on the air, fans loved it, went crazy for it. And the response was so big that Demento was like, You people need to hear yeah. you. Like you have something. You're amazing. He financed Al to record and produce his very first parody track which was uh another it's a, a parody of another one bites the dust and it is called another one rides the bus i love that so much that's yes and another one rides the bus became such a hit that it got al his first record deal And um, Al's career took off, right? And Dr. Demento's career kind of took off and he became nationally syndicated on even more stations. And he started getting a little bit more legit comics, but still people that he wanted. So Mm -hmm. he would still get fringy kind of freaky deaky kind of weirdo people on his show. But he was able to bring in. Um, you know, comedians yeah. and not just Baker musicians, but and, yeah. you know, that's so cool. yeah, yeah. And so, um, Doctor Doctor Demento and the Funny Five. <laughs> he would every week. He would have, <laughs> every week he would have like the top five like funny songs or top five rated songs that people would listen to. And in high school, I actually would listen to Doctor really? Demento. Like, and it was on it. It was on at like midnight or like one. I was gonna in the say, was it like and the I would weirdest have to, like, show of time? <laughs> The yeah. weirdest at hours. And I would have to like sit with my Walkman. Oh, and, like, the Walkman. The tiniest, microest movements to get the station yeah. because KPCC was like. It was done. Yeah. yeah it would just yeah. get static. Yeah. I was like miles away and there was like a hill in between. So I was just like, oh my God. Oh my so I'm like making these tiny movements. I would get it and then I would have to just lay <laughs> in bed. And it's one o'clock Still in the morning. So I just statue. lay in bed and, <laughs> and listen to that Dr. D. Mento. And that, yeah, that's his whole thing. He says, like, the funny five. And um, there's been, you know, jokes about Dr. Demento and how terrible it is, like, on The Simpsons. And it's like, again, I, it, it's not for everybody. Yeah. It's it's obscure. It's weird. I think the whole parody song and novelty music genre, the, okay, those people are weirdos. It's very, like, it's very, like, flea market crowd and like dr demento wears a top hat <laughs> yep. and it's all that like you know drama kid mm-hmm, energy sure. <laughs> yeah colorful socks. that's why yeah. i love it <laughs> but you know what though i i am the theater kid who is yeah. here for it like always <laughs> and like i i don't care i think the monster mash is hilarious i'll listen to it every year right? you know I, I can't like my number one halloween yeah. song and the thing is um the holidays are, is like a huge subgenre of novelty music because, yeah. like you said, Grandma got Absolutely. run over by reindeer. Weird, like all these like weird Christmas uh-huh. music, yeah. weird yeah. Halloween music, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I just love something like Weird Al or Pee Wee or uh, a performer like John Paragon um, or Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, who have these crazy acts that 
when they were created, were created for adults. Yeah. Underground, very yeah. punk rock. And mm-hmm. they just kind of get, not filtered, but kind of like brought to the mainstream in a way that everybody Absolutely. can say, okay, I really like that. And it's like, okay, well, then you really like some punk, dirty, weird shit because even if they don't, even if they're not completely conscious of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's like, oh, you don't realize you're a yeah. weirdo like the rest of And that's of the us. thing. <laughs> like, you don't realize how, like, how gay all that shit is, like, how, que- how queer and oh my punk gosh, and, yeah. like, you know, nitty gritty it all can be. And all these people just kind of bring that all to the forefront. And it's so funny how so much of it, a lot of it ends up becoming family programming. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Al and Pee Wee did not start off for kids. Elvira did not start off for kids, mm-hmm. but Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Definitely we not. stand by Elvira, Mistress of the Dark being a family film. Oh, yeah. It's pretty, I mean, fun <laughs> yeah. for the whole family. Even if there's boob yeah, jokes. In totally. It. Especially if there's yeah, boob jokes. Yeah, even if there's it. a whole lot of boobies. Yeah. yeah. But no, she's yeah. for, she's yeah. for yeah. there's something about <laughs> for the how we, when Weird Al and UHF or Elvira and Mistress of the Dark of these weirdo fringe people that have to sort of interact with everyday society the straight per- yeah like yeah, yeah. just yeah. sort of you just see how they play just sort of yeah running wild yeah if you know what i mean yeah, yeah totally yeah. totally absolutely so, i yeah. love it yeah so i just love that like like i said i keep bringing it up but it's this this la uh underground like this improv comedy thing that's just it's it's a right. part of mainstream now, but like, you know, at the time, these mm-hmm. people were not welcome in most homes, you know? Not I, The Groundlings was not like a household name of no, comedy yet. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like... No, I, which, yeah, I made the joke tonight. I'm like, ever, ever heard of the them? Groundlings. Back then, everyone yeah. was like, no, absolutely not. What is Groundlings? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, you know, I definitely recommend, you know, you can go out... I mean, of course, watch UHF, but it's like, like I said, on Tubi is the, the Weird Al show. Um... The Weird Al movie's coming out. Yeah, I was going to say, are we all excited for the was, Weird Al yeah, movie? I'm like, this was like accidental promo yeah. that we brought up Weird Al when this movie's <laughs> about to come out. I am so excited about it, especially because I thought it was going to be more of a biographical so did I. type <laughs> what were movie. We thinking? Yeah, I mean, with Daniel Radcliffe, which I was already here mm-hmm. for, but I love that it's parody. But it makes, yeah. total, it makes total sense parody. that it's yeah. a parody movie about a biography. So I was not familiar that... This movie was partly inspired by a fake movie trailer about the life of Weird Al. So I did not know that. Was it he really? Had to okay, me about that. so the writer of this movie, the writer of the Weird Al movie, um, he wrote a sketch for Funny or Die about five five or eight years ago. And the the sketch, the video is essentially a movie trailer for a fake Weird Al biopic and aaron okay. paul plays al um our olivia wilde plays madonna um oh. Patton, controversial, controversial. um Patton, uh Patton oswald is dr demento and oh, the funny okay. thing is is when you watch that trailer it's the new trailer with the for the dan radcliffe movie they cut it Mm-hmm. They cut it to match the original Funny or Die oh, video. Oh, that's so good. And so that makes me all so happy. the stuff about about Al like strung out on drugs, it's like Madonna. And drinking yeah, and, like Madonna getting him into yes, drugs and showing him this life. I'm so obsessed yeah. with that storyline, though. I love that it's that's so the great. way it's going, and it makes me yeah. 
happy that it's not just like, oh, here's a bio, Mm -hmm. like learn about Weird Al. I kind of love that it's going the parody route because that is Weird Al to his core. It's how I also love too that in both of the projects we get Aaron Paul and Dan Radcliffe, two like, Mm -hmm. I mean, two short kings. First of all, yeah. Yeah, short kings. We love a short king. Which I mean, I I think Al is probably like five ten. So I don't know why they went with these two short kings. He is. He's tall. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about both Aaron Paul and Dan Radcliffe is that they're both like ripped. Yeah, yeah. They have these jack bodies. Daniel Radcliffe has this like thick ass. Yeah, I love it. It's so perfect. Like honestly, look nothing like Al, but. Like let's go. No, not it's at great. all. Yeah, but again, you know, parody. Just like let's yes, just make it. Let's perfect. just make it stupid. You know, and uh, we yeah. we love just st- stupid humor. Just make us laugh. You know, Truly. like make us laugh. That's that's all we're that's all we're asking for. Yeah. So yeah. So UHF. It's a it's a kooky. It is a parody movie. It is just silly. You know, it, silly it, it's visual weird jokes. As hell. It's great, though. but it's freaking weird. So I did not grow up on UHF. I mean, definitely okay. very familiar with. Weird Al as a kid, like I mentioned. But I did not watch this movie until I started going out with Pete. Um, (laughs) Me personally, I don't love this movie as much as Pete does. It's super charming. But what I do like about this movie is that it's a movie about sticking it to the man. (laughs) And I mean, and what just sort of a theme that everybody can get on board with. We all can relate to that. Is sticking it to the man. And I love that. Yeah, Yeah, there's like the quintessential scene towards the end where, I mean, it's got to be one of the flesh the boss is like i don't give a shit about the yeah. community yeah. and like we always need that like did you know you were being recorded moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah it was it was Love everything it. classic that we needed but also mm-hmm. as i said before as somebody just like raised being obsessed with weird owl this movie did have a special place yeah. in my heart so Good. i love that you had that weirdo <laughs> upbringing <laughs> yay <laughs> As it goes, Scott, it doesn't have to be a movie from your childhood. You saw this 80s movie recently, and I just watched it for the first time last oh night. My gosh. I'm going to be real wow. honest, listeners. I just watched yeah. it last yeah. night. And I, Had you ever heard of this okay. movie? Okay, well, I'll give the intro even, and talk okay. a little bit about it. Yeah, I was like, I... Yes and no, because when you sent me the link and we're talking about it, I was like, I've never heard of this. And even when I first started, but as it went on and then I started to do my research, I had heard about it just in the, I don't want to give too much away, but just in the fact that like it was dangerous as hell. Yes. And I do remember like the controversy and it being released to America later. But anyway, I know you're going to mm-hmm. dive into all I'm that. still stressed out. We watched it last night too. And I'm still I, stressed. I was texting Scott. Like, I'm not okay. Like this is, <laughs> yeah. I was watching through my fingers. I it's was a lot. Not, it was a lot. It was, it was a bit too much. I'll be honest, but please <laughs> dive in. Okay. So the movie that, uh, I guess made me weird. It is a movie yeah. called, it, it is a movie called roar. It was, it was released in 1981. It is directed by Noel Marshall. It stars Tippi Hedren from The Birds, her daughter Melanie Griffith, John and Jerry Marshall, and Noel Marshall. The and also John and Jerry are the sons of of the director of Noel Marshall. Right. And just to start of kind of begin this discussion, I'll read you the tagline of the movie. I was going to say, yeah, how would you, how is it presented? <laughs> no animals were harmed in the making of this film. Seventy cast and crew members were. 
the most dangerous movie ever made. So, Roar. Where to yeah. begin with Roar? Oh, my God. Um, so, I feel like I first heard of this movie about six years ago when the Alamo Draft House was re-releasing this movie. They were doing sort of like a nationwide tour of this movie. Yeah. And I kept reading reviews of this. Of this movie called Roar. And I'm like, all right, I need to check this movie out. I'll give a little synopsis of it later. But we went to it in the movie theater. And it was one of those movie theater experiences that was so much fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Seeing it with a group of people. Was that... Wait, when you saw it at Alamo Drafthouse, was that when it was first released in, like, North America? Or was that... Um, so we saw it at so the silent movie. Theater. We saw it at the silent movie theater, and yeah. I think that it was oh, okay. released by Cine Family there. But Alamo yeah. Drafthouse kind of yeah. did started the, okay. did the circulation yeah. for it. And this had been a long since out of print movie. I don't even think this movie even really was officially released. There's a release date for it, but I don't even think it even was given a proper run in the theater. Yeah. So, yeah. a little, a quick little, like, two-sentence synopsis of Roar. Roar's story follows Hank, a naturalist who lives on a nature preserve in Africa which lot with lions, tigers, and other big cats. When his family visits oh him, they are instead confronted by the group of animals in the house. Um, I think that to tell the story of the making of Roar, you have to begin with Noel Marshall and his wife mm -hmm. tippy Hedren. and no marshall was kind of this kooky guy he was an agent producer he worked as a director as an actor and he moved to hollywood and he began kind of backing movies he was one of the original people who invested in the exorcist yes. when they adapted it in, into a movie and he married mm -hmm. tippy Hedren in uh 1964 and with them as a couple uh, when she was making a movie called Satan's Harvest in Africa. Oh, I love Satan's Harvest. They, Just kidding, um, I've never heard of it. <laughs> like, I don't know anything about Satan's Harvest. I think that when she was making this movie, that's sort of what, mm. what ignited their passion in saving big cats. The big cats, mm. yeah. Kind of, their, they were all about sort of the preservation of where these cats lived. Mm -hmm. A lot of just sort of cats that big cats that just sort of they they need to find homes for them. Well, um, poaching in Africa yeah. is a problem, Absolutely. you know. Um I was kind of thinking later on when they would rescue them of uh -huh. just sort of when they would just get big cats. Sure. That didn't work out for their owners. Okay. Too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. So, um yeah, Tiger so, King style. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, listeners, if you're not familiar with Tippy Hedren from the birds, mm -hmm. you know, um, she has, I mean, she from the birds and Marnie, a beautiful lover, love the birds, but she has a big game, uh, or a big cat preserve out here in Southern California. Um, it's called Shambhala. It's a big mm -hmm. cat rescue. And it's just been this lifelong passion of hers. Which I think it's so uh, cool. And it kind of all, it is really cool. It's kind of a cool, you know, aspect of her life. And um, it kind of all stems back from her relationship with um, Noel Marshall. Yeah. Noel Marshall. And this movie is an early part of, so, you yeah. know, what sprung from that relationship. Yeah, I mean, and so when they were making uh, wild. this movie, Satan's Harvest in Africa, mm -hmm. they heard of the story of, and they may have even seen it, of this house of this uh, game preserver 
and his house was just overtaken by mm-hmm. a pack of lions. So they as a couple just thought, wouldn't that be a wild idea for a movie? And they just sort of tried to kind of get this movie together. And it took them like years to get financing for the movie. Uh-huh. In the meantime, back in Los Angeles in their house, they just started taking in big cats. And this is where you get all of those wild photos just the cats of hanging out by Tibby the pool. and young Melanie with just like yeah. a it's lion so sitting in their living yeah. room. Yeah, they're just or chilling. In their bed. Like, the, Scott was sending insane. me some of those, and I was like, "These yeah, are so yeah. beautiful and so badass and cool." But I also just, which like Pete, we kind of mentioned before, I just am watching in terror. I'm like, "What about that moment where they just flip? Yeah. They freak out." I think about like I'm just- the woman who had. I forget what it was. If she had a chimp who was living with her and it went crazy and ripped off her face. Oh, and God. I'm just like, you don't know when yeah. they're going to turn. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Style yeah. Nope. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We, all, we all saw Nope. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, no. Uh. So this movie, when they finally got it made, had a, an 11-year accident-ridden production due to many elements of the movie. 11-year 11 production. production. With many mishaps and damages <laughs> caused on set, the cast and crew worked with real big cats that they had kind of acquired uh, at their Shambhala Reserve, which is sort of at the very edge of the... Sort of at the very edge of the valley. Isn't Deep it kind of an valley? valley? Way out in the valley. Like it's yeah. it's way. It's, it's like, like barely uh, Southern it's California. Pretty much <laughs> Baker's. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty much Bakersfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and going out there. Listen, mm-hmm. listeners. If I know Bakersfield, yeah. Uh, listeners, if you have not watched this movie, mm-hmm. when we say the cats have taken over the house, it's <laughs> it is like it's a not full... like one or two lions and a tiger. This is I have full never seen so many brothers. Of... Big cats. This is some circus Vargas realness. And it we're talking crazy. lions, multiple lions, tigers, tigers, panthers, pumas. jaguars, <laughs> pumas, cheetahs, cheetahs. Uh, it's every kind of large exotic cat you can think of. In they're so majestic and beautiful, but when there is a person in the room with them, you're just like, this should, I should not be seeing this. Yeah. Yes. I just kept waiting for this moment where it was going to go completely out of control. And I was like, and is the, oh no, there were the several of those moments real? in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> no, it was, it was real. all real. And here's the thing with having <laughs> these big, especially <laughs> male lions is that yeah. male lions aren't really accustomed to being Hanging around a lot of male lions. So yeah, they're they'd like, be getting hey, fights. get out of my space. Even if they're not going to kill each other, yeah. they're going to beat each other yeah, up. Absolutely. Because they're right. just trying to be dominant with one another. Yeah. yeah. And I know with Noel is usually when he would get injured, he said, it was when the male lions were fighting and they would pretty much try to just, break them up. He would try to break them up and he said the lions would almost treat oh, him like he was a lion. Sure. And they would give him a So he wasn't even just caught in a scuffle. They were just straight up like, oh no, we're going to beat the shit out of you too. (laughs) He was included. There's a scene Mm -hmm. where he's like running and one of the, and it looks like a female, it doesn't have a mane, but like a lion comes up and straight tackles him. And he like, and he falls. There's scenes where like they Mm -hmm. just shove their arms in the lion's mouth. Are we all experiencing this together? Why is it okay? (laughs) I can't. uh, It's... (laughs) 
So kind of the the big, um, the notable injuries on set. So Noel was, uh, he was, I think, sort of mauled or bitten by a cheetah. That was his big injury. A cheetah. Um, So this movie is shot by Jan DeBont. Are you familiar with Jan DeBont? Jan Jan DeBont is the director of Twister. Yes. So this was sort of his big start in Hollywood. I love Twister. I cannot believe that. That makes me feel so much more connected. So, cinematographer Yanga Bont was mauled yeah. by a lion on set. Over 120 stitches oh. were needed to sew his scalp his head. back in place. 120? After medical treatment, Debon returned yes, to production to complete his DP duties. I'm going to cry. That is absurd. So if things had gone uh, slightly to the left, we would not have Twister as we know exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> we wouldn't have the haunting either. Thank God for those speed. 100. Speed, speed, baby. I love speed, I love speed so. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 120 stitches. I read a quote man. from him today about it that was really. 120 stitches. That was really, that was really interesting. He said, it was pretty dang- dangerous. Roar is the only picture I almost lost my head over. It was frustrating at times, oh but I was God. hooked. The cats were fascinating. They never did the same thing twice. The technical problems were gigantic when you shoot with five cameras simultaneously each had to be ingeniously disguised so they don't appear in the shot that this was my first hollywood film and i'll never be the same again and yeah that's the thing is that when you're shooting these chaotic scenes they probably had to use like four cameras to get all of the angles of everything to cut together absolutely and it's still weird in the edit when you watch it like it's still very disorienting it just seemed like they were filming the cats and they were just like, okay, they're doing that. So now that So now be... work around it. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of how I felt the yeah. whole time was what is the plot? What story am I supposed to be following? I like all I see are yeah. the cats what is running the around and these people are like <laughs> appearing amongst them and kind of doing a thing. So, I mean, the the plot to me is that Hank is a terrible father. Yeah, the worst. He's a, Hank is crazy. He's the worst crazy husband on earth. Well. Yeah. He is a terrible employer. Yes. Mativo, his his poor Mativo. Like I am. Poor Mativo. I am Mativo. Poor Mativo. <laughs> you are Mativo. I am Mativo. I'm just like this is wrong. <laughs> Get them out of the car. I don't want them near me. Seriously. I quit. Everyone was um, seeing so, it except for this guy. Yeah. Melanie also was mauled by a tiger. Mm. And you can see the shot in the movie. It is the no. scene in the kitchen. No. Where you see pulling her hair. Pulling her hair back. Okay, I mean, actually, ma- yep. I believe that as you're saying it. Because, yeah. of course, but so I, I, guess I still had hope. He's not mauling Mel. He is almost like ripping her hair He's out. scalping yeah. her. He's scalping yep. her. He's literally Just scalping her. But that shot is scalping. in the damn movie. Yeah. Oh, casual Scott, scalping. Yeah, she, I, she's fine. I watched that and was like, this part at least has to be fake. Like, this lion isn't scalping her right now, but he was. Oh, my gosh. I can't. Yeah. Okay. It's getting How many stitches did Melanie need? Yeah, right? She needed something like 70 or something Ugh. like that. Like, she, yeah. She needed a lot, uh, is all I know. Griffith reportedly received 50, stage, 50 stitches to her face. 50. It was feared that she would lose an eye, but she recovered. It was not disfigured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. My God. And we okay. have working girl now. And now we and have working girl. Yeah, think, I know. I'm thinking of all the things we got after Roar. Like, I'm yeah, so happy the lions almost... didn't kill any of these. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, so this is a real oddball of a movie because oh. just the tone is all over the place. Yeah. That you don't really know: is this a conservation movie? Is this trying to like right. send a message to protect cats, or is it 
wanting us to fear them. Right. And the very end, it's like a kumbaya, and they all pretty much live in harmony with all of these big cats. Yeah. And there was no problems at all. That's what's so crazy about the message of this movie, is that just sort of in the last 15 minutes, it's just like, well... We're all fine. They were never really trying to attack us. Wait, I thought someone did get killed, though. Is that not true? The poacher well, guy. The yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the ba- well, the yeah, po- the bad Togar. guys. Togar wasn't the having bad- none yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, we were all rooting for Togar. Togar, also, oh, yeah. just, Togar by the way, is Togar. kind of frightening. <laughs> just covered well. in blood. Yeah. Always covered in blood. Just blood, like, <laughs> drenched into its fur, and you're just like, yeah, yeah. this is casual. <laughs> it's my... I can't... When I tell you, I wish you guys could have went, I wish we could have watched this together is basically what I'm saying. (laughs) It would have been I went through so many emotions watching it last night. Oh wait, but the compliment I'll give it, and Scott, I said this to you, the music. It felt uplifting. (laughs) Especially like it's hippy dippy songs at the end. (laughs) It reminded me of, I mean, like the Lion King obviously has some inspirational music we've all heard, but what is? (laughs) A little bit. There's a movie, Man of the House, and not the new one that has like the cheerleaders. With JTT? Yeah, thank you. I knew Scott. <laughs> JTT and it's Scott uh, would Chevy have Chase, right? Back. Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase, and, and uh, JTT. Uh, Farrah Fawcett. Yes, yep. and they're wow. like coming together. That Man of the House, and the way that that movie begins and ends is with like anthems, and I'm so here for it. And it also, I feel like, is trying to give us that jungle feel. I think I think like the main thing is that anytime somebody gets knocked down or hurt and is covered in blood, <laughs> I think it's all real. Yes. Yeah. It, like even the very beginning of the movie where the main guy gets his hand cut and like that yeah. it, like there's a big moment surrounding that and I'm like, but is that uh-huh. real? But is that real? <laughs> and I know that <laughs> I this is. is a family that did grow up around all of these lions and tigers. I mean for a while, like, I mean, they were kind of a part of their pack, but I mean, when these cats kind know. of are rough on each other, yeah, like, shit's gonna it's go down. Gonna yeah, go wild down. animals are mm-hmm. not meant to be, yeah, we're not meant to tame no. lions. So, this movie took 11 years <laughs> 11 to make, years. and by the last 15 minutes, you can sort of tell, oh, so this is where they went back and they shot more scenes, because Melanie looks a good five years She's older aged. yeah they give her this awesome wig <laughs> both of the sons look older their hair is way longer they completed yeah. it yeah so it's like they made this movie they made this feat of filmmaking yeah. i mean they finished it but <laughs> they finished it they put like it you, together you but know? like you said the 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 story when you're watching it you're just like what is the story yeah it's, I don't know it, what the it, story is. It's a weird is. tone. I don't know what they're trying to say. You don't know if all of this is playing for jokes, if it's a comedy. It's called a it comedy. Turns into, That's the thing is when I like yeah. started to go down the right? rabbit hole, it's mm-hmm. like adventure comedy. Is it a comedy? Because like, I was no. scared. But Well, and, I, and it's one of those things that I don't think that was initially the movie that they were trying to you, make. Yeah. Is I think that they were setting out to make a lighthearted a thriller. Oh, no, I think they were thriller. trying to make okay. a thriller. A straight up initially. adventure thriller. And, and then it turned just to... sort of sure. when you get all of these yeah, dailies yeah. of all of this crazy shit, you just sort of have to take a. And there's a an, little and there's a naughty elephant that's that's going to murder us. An elephant that was on the Shambhala Reserve, too. Okay. So that was just their elephant then, that they had. 
Oh, that was just there. Just so their, their you know, what I thought was wild is that I I oh, did weird. assume that all of this was shot in Africa. No, this is like this is the Shambhala Reserve. It's just their home in California. Okay. Oh my gosh. That's I thought it was Africa. Hometown. That's wild. I thought it was Africa too. Yeah. That's too much. And again, like regarding the reserve, that's what I found most interesting was I'm watching this movie in horror and I'm like, who let this happen? But then <laughs> it's funny because you read up on once it was released later, you know, you guys, you saw it at mm-hmm. the a low key underground theater and then it gets released in Alamo Draft House where like everybody can come. Yeah. And critics are surprisingly into it. It's so funny because I have yeah. like every piece of me thinking that everyone's going to be like, who made this movie? This is insane. And everyone's like, yeah, I love the, the way they treated the animals in this movie. This is amazing. This is how we wish Hollywood treated the animals. And I thought that was kind of cool. As scared as I was of this movie, I like that a lot of critics were praising the movie saying, well, they didn't train them. They didn't cage these animals. They were treating they them. They kind yeah, of let the animals yeah. direct the scene. I mean, a thousand yeah. percent. And also this movie... This yeah. movie, its last credit, its last directing credit, is directed by Noel Marshall and Friends. Oh, which means are the, the friends the, are the friends the cats? Friends of the See, animals. I think they are because in the opening credits, they have that moment where they're like, "We yes. feel that we need to list the animals who also were a part of this movie," and then they put them all by name, like Robbie, yeah. Hogarth, yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Robbie. It comes up there. Yeah, um, they love those cats. Oh, but Robbie. yeah, I mean, also. I think kind of to ground this movie, if you just look at the life of somebody like mm-hmm. Tippi Hedren, she mm-hmm. later divorced Noel because just I think this movie was just too much on their marriage I mean, and they parted ways probably <laughs> right after they made this movie mm-hmm. is be, just because Noel just seems like a kooky individual and was probably a very difficult man to stay married with. But I also just think that Tippi Hedren in general is just so inspiring yeah. is that she has such a interesting and also kind of a sad story of the Hollywood it girl of that. She made these two huge movies with Al- Alfred Hitchcock. And then I don't know if it was like yeah. career blacklist, but she didn't really go on to do anything, anything bigger. Huge. And she's kind of, went on the record of saying how kind of terrible Alfred Hitchcock was to her during those two movies. That, I mean, she just took all of that passion of being an actress and she took it into saving big cats. And I I love that. And we did meet Tippy once. We met her at, we we met her at, um, what comic book convention? We met her at Stanley's Stanley's Kamikaze. When it was still called Stanley's Kamikaze. I love that you got to meet her. I went up to Tippy. Yes. She autographed a picture for me. Oh, and I should also mention, I interrupted a conversation she was having with a one Miss Morgan oh. Fairchild. Oh, it's yeah. That I'm just like, excuse me, excuse me, Miss, Miss Hedren, will you please sign my photo? And she was fully, like, in conversation Stop. with Morgan Fairchild. That's incredible. Like, that I was just like, yeah, I'm dead. I'm like, on the floor these two. that the two of you. And I remember Pete pointed out that she was wearing the pin that Alfred Hitchcock gave her when he told her that she got the role in The Birds. It's the little bird pin. I had had the special edition DVD and I watched all the special features. And in it, she talks about him handing her. She talks about going out to lunch with Hitch and his wife. I think it's Mm -hmm. in the movie, The Girl. 
um, that scene. And she shows off the pin in the in the making of, and she's like, and here it is, and she brings it out. And so I had seen it, and then when we were there, she's wearing like a you know a suit, like a old lady suit, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's on her lapel. And I was like, that's the pin, and I asked is her, that and I was the like, is pin? that the pin? That Alfred Hitchcock gave you, and she and she tapped it. Ah! Uh, yes, honey. <laughs> In a beautiful tippy yes. voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember when she was signing my photo, she drew little birds, yeah. and her little old lady hands were like shaking oh, as she, she was. Writing on the picture, oh Sharpie. But she drew little birds in Sharpie on the on the photo. It was great. And I mean, I think that when you watch a movie like Marnie or The Birds, I think that she is the most beautiful yes. woman on the planet <laughs> in those movies. It's great. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. And yeah, so there's That's roar. roar. It's it is it's weird. <laughs> Honestly, you have it's, to watch it. I'm like, dangerous. we can only say it's so kooky. much. You have, you have to, to watch it to believe it. So you do. Um, this movie is not available for rental, but you can find a stream of this movie on say. YouTube. This is what that I think you sent me. Right. Yeah. It was perfect. And then yeah. there's also that's what's fun about it is you go on YouTube and you watch the hour and a half movie, and then below it it'll be like the making of the interviews, and you can go down oh, cool. the total rabbit hole on YouTube, which I think is very fun to do, <laughs> fun and scary. Yeah, I love that. Um, but yeah. You can just watch all the animal attacks they have in yeah, too. All the attacks. Was like, it was it was too a much. super cut. Um, oh my goodness! So yeah, roar. I think about this movie at least once a week. That's what <laughs> I love. Wild. Is that like it's something that you watched just like five years ago, and it's still you're like, oh no, this made me weird. Like this is this is strange. <laughs> One of my favorite movie going experiences with an oh, audience. Oh, I guarantee that was yeah, a good time. Everybody, we were all because no, no one in that theater had of seen. Of course it not. Like, there was no yeah, way for anybody to no have way. seen it at that point. So we're sitting there, all of us, just like, oh my oh, god, oh, oh, oh my god. I know. I felt like the whole time. <laughs> I was watching. I was just going, oh, oh, I was just shouting. <laughs> a lot of that. But Scott, I do have to yeah. ask, and this is putting you on the spot. So because this was just from a few years ago, this can just be like a mention. Do you have a movie from your childhood where you're like, oh, this, this fucked me up. This made me weird. So I was very close to picking Nothing But Trouble, directed yeah. by yeah. Dan Aykroyd. With Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Love. and Demi Moore. Because yeah. I remember watching this movie on cable a lot as a kid. Yeah. And a lot of its weirdness I kind of took for granted. And I didn't really grasp just how fucking insane yep. the movie was. And I feel like I revisited it when I was in college. And I'm like, oh, this movie is certified <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And Straight up nuts. why was I so fascinated with this yeah. as a kid? Yes. And I, I completely agree. <laughs> and it's like to me more like you're hot off of Ghost, uh-huh, and you, yeah. and you make this is what you this come into batshit movie. So Lauren, or yeah, so <laughs> Lauren, like, you movie. said or I was like, are you about to call me a different name? What, what else? No, <laughs> I thought that I called you Ashley for a second. And I was just like, wait a minute, it's I, I had to stop it's myself. Just we can we can edit that out. Cross wires, <laughs> Lauren. Let's talk. Let's about talk about okay. your movie. So I had not seen this movie. You hadn't. I was familiar with like you knew the about VHS it. box yeah, from yeah. going to our video store as a kid and seeing. And there it. was something about this movie that I did not want to watch. Uh-uh. And <laughs> when we watched it last night, I totally see why. No, it's the worst. I mean, not like it is, is it's the bananas. worst and the best. And no, yeah. I only, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, I'm talking, I was like, I can't leave everybody hanging. I'm talking about the movie Parents. It's from 1989. And it's so funny because you guys at least knew about it, even if you hadn't seen it. Yes. I Mm -hmm. ran this movie by so many of my friends. Like, this is a good one to talk about, right? Nobody had seen it. They didn't even know about it. And I was I like, feel like people what? of a certain age remember seeing this movie at the video store. Yeah, though. that box was always yep. in. The box. It was always in the always. horror section. And it always that stuck out to me the way they were just standing in the kitchen mm-hmm. and looked so evil. Parents, mm-hmm. 1989, which it it's awful in the way, and I say that in the way that like I, <laughs> I just I had to rewatch it recently because I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in years, and I was very entertained and like, oh my gosh, this is so dark and ridiculous and i'm kind of here for it but i saw Mm -hmm. it at way too young of an age which we were talking about earlier where i only saw it because it was rented by one of my friends who had like the cool parents who didn't care (laughs) they rented it at one of our sleepovers and i remember like specifically going to family video did you guys have family video is that not i think that we did have family video but i don't think that it was the big chain family video i think it was just okay called it was just called video. <laughs> yeah I've, yeah i've always wondered if family video <laughs> a was weird, a chain a weird small town thing yeah it was like a chain throughout illinois but i didn't know if it was okay, across the country yeah. but it was like the lower class blockbuster it was called family yeah, video. yeah sure yeah and it had like that weird, like clear crystal rock window that like all nineties yeah. places did. Like it was like that staple. Um, I so love it. I remember going to family video with one of my friends during a sleepover in the nineties, and her being like, "I want to watch a scary movie," and I was, you know, trying to stay face, and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And we rented Parents, <laughs> and it was. It it was a lot. Parents is a movie directed by, we talked about this last night, Scotty. I did not even make the connection. Bob, how do you even say his last name? Balaban? Balaban. 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 Yeah. Which I like, I was like, I know You've the name. You've definitely seen a movie with, with Bob. I yeah. am one of those mm-hmm. assholes that like, I was like, I know the name, but I can't put it with a face. And then I looked him up and was yeah. like, I feel like such a dick because he's like, he's truly been in everything. And I love. Staple of Christopher <laughs> Guest. He's in yes, a lot of Christopher Guest movies. a lot of Christopher Guest movies, which like we talk about constantly on the podcast, which is why I was so disappointed in myself. But what I loved is as I was researching him more, because I'm like, oh, I know you as an actor and everything, but he hasn't mm-hmm. directed a ton, which I love that like this mm-hmm. was <laughs> of his weird yeah. ass ones in 1989 and this wasn't even released onto dvd until like early oh, 2000s wow. what i found which like i guess dvds were coming out around then anyway but it was like i there was a hesitance yeah. to even do dvd i think because people were like this movie's kind of messed up and also <laughs> it stars randy quaid who is a a bit controversial nowadays, but uh, and as yeah. Randy Quaid, Mary Beth Hurt, Sandy Dennis, and Brian Mad- Madorsky, who I didn't I didn't recognize Brian, but the other sure. names I was like, yes, this has like a decent cast. Basically, Michael is a young boy living in a typical 1950s suburbanite home, but he has bizarre and horrific nightmares and continued unease around his parents, especially his father, Nick. And young Michael begins to suspect his parents are cooking more than just hamburgers on the grill outside. He doesn't know how to explain his fears to his newfound friend, Sheila, or the school's social worker. 
I had to learn about cannibals from this movie. I did not yeah. know what cannibals were, but I found out from <laughs> this movie with Randy Quaid, who in this movie, I felt so uneasy watching him as a child and then again as an adult. And I'm yes. like, he's yeah. very well utilized. Just like in there this is movie. like the Randy Quaid unease that is in like every movie he's in, but in this, he nailed it. And I want to give him credit as an actor because I know it's easy yeah. to say it's Randy Quaid. Like he just creeps you out. But he plays the father in this movie. There's this, like, the young boy in this movie is just terrified. He, like, can't even explain why. He's so terrified of his parents. But then the moment that you see an interaction with Randy Quaid, you understand it. And that is what I love about this movie, is you're just immediately (laughs) like, oh, I'm so scared of this dad. He's controlling. He's overpowering. He has this weird mystery about him. And then... The scene that traumatized me and the reason that I'm weird and love scary things, but also am, like, scared of many things, um, (laughs) is there's a scene where the young bully, Michael, catches his parents having Mm -hmm. sexual intercourse, and both of them come up from the intercourse, like the panting and sweating, the usual, but also have red marks around their mouth, and it looks as if they've been biting each other, like... He he's starting to be like, I think they might be doing things beyond just like the sex that we're learning about in school. And I like that is a scene that I will never forget. I don't know how you guys felt about that scene, seeing it as like adults and not as kids. But I like even watching crazy the other night, I was sort of like, (laughs) oh, my God, like this is dark. I mean, it was crazy because like it's I'm thinking it's happening in the living room yes it does it's like he's kind of looking over a loft like over a little planter area yeah. and you're sort of like oh is this just in the public but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then yeah the, it's like the mom's it's cleverly done because it's like in the you know in the movie it's like the mom's lipstick and it's smeared on her face on but it's dad's also smeared like, on dad's face sucks? but the dad the yeah, and so the son's been having these crazy dreams involving blood and things, and so when he sees them doing like, this to I each right? other, he's just like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah so yeah, then yeah. it's like, the the whole movie is this boy having these nightmares, like Pete was saying about, like, he's seeing a lot of blood, there's even, like, a really creepy scene where he's hiding in the closet from his mom, and a tentacle wraps around the door, and you're sort of like, are aliens involved, are there mm-hmm. monsters and you don't know if it's just in the kid's head the whole time, but he's having these suspicions of like, no, this feels like tied to my parents and the fear I have of them. And mom is mm-hmm. always in the kitchen chopping up something, which I also think is such like yeah. a clever nod. And then lo and behold, as the movie goes on, we find out, indeed, they have been chopping up human yes. meat and it's they people. are trying to bring Michael on board with them. They're like on his team, truly loving their son kind of the whole time and like trying to bring him on board. But by the end once he's found out and he fights against them then we kind of get this battle and then we have this amazing ending scene of michael moving in with his grandparents but then seeing like a very strange looking sandwich set on the nightstand when he moves in with them and you're like it's a family thing family business but i yeah yeah, it's about cannibals and honestly re-watching it as an adult i don't know if you guys felt this again i'm like i have no idea what it's like to see it with like fresh eyes i sort of watched it the Mm -hmm. other night and was like wait this movie is smarter than i gave it credit for as a child obviously i didn't really understand it but i was sort of like this weird fear that people actually do have of like family and not knowing if your parents are actually 
human as dramatic as that sounds. Like you just think of them as like <laughs> mom and dad and your caretakers and like they don't have sex and they don't like they would never commit a crime and they don't do this. But like something's off with them. And I don't know. I, I want to add something on that. There's something to be said with probably baby boomers around Bob Bellman's uh-huh. age that growing up as children in the 50s and 60s of you think that you led this very idealistic, perfect mm-hmm. life, but then you're sort of looking back on your memories and you start to dig a little deeper and you start to kind of think, oh, things were yes. fucked up. That really messed everybody up. Everybody put on a very happy face yeah. that just sort of we live this idealistic American yeah. life, but underneath the surface of all of this is something, something dark. really dark. And I think that's something that a lot of people, our parents' age, probably do a- have to deal with. A thousand percent. With having parents from the 1950s and 60s yeah. that just sort of always had an attitude of, well, everything will work out. Like, we don't really want to talk about really serious shit because that's just not how it's done. That's not how we were raised. That's not how you're going to be raised. Well, like the whole, you know, this, they live in this like beautiful mid-century split level, you know, ranch house and... You know, and they've got these beautiful cars, and the mom is always in these, you know, dresses. She's always put together with her apron. It's very 1950s classic. Yeah. Very 1950s. Exactly what you think of. But, you know, the dad, Randy Quaid, he goes off to work, and he works at Toxico, Mm -hmm. and he's pretty much developing Agent Orange. Yes, he is straight, like, he's... You know, like... Yeah, he's trying to poison (laughs) the enemies. Like, he's in... Yeah, Yeah. he's in this lab. (laughs) And so that's part of the reason that Michael's like, well, my dad has all this power. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his day job is creating, like, a defoliant. It's like, oh, my God. Um, And, you know, the movie has very, like tones of i mean obviously it has tones of like tim burton yeah you know i was um, thinking of blue velvet. uh blue yeah, velvet. Just velvet. Could... also that very lynchian thing of in this kind of idealistic suburban neighborhood if you draw back the curtains there's some dark totally. shit going on yeah mm-hmm. it has that like uh Score by Angelo Badalamenti, mm-hmm. who did all you know, who works with David. Lynch I was going a lot, to say the music at the beginning again, like the music at the yeah. beginning, the music at the end. I, when I turned on the movie, I was like, yeah. "Oh, I feel itchy and I feel wrong." And it yeah, just, yeah. I, it was so like fun and creepy, and also eye-opening to watch it again as an adult. And so, for anyone who's listening to this who watched it yeah. as a kid, I highly recommend watching it again. Because it felt like I was seeing these deeper yeah. themes as we've been discussing, but also like all of the PTSD rushing back of that sleepover that I had with my friends of just like, why did we choose this movie? I like, can't even why? imagine. And like, how did we get like the one yeah. copy? Because the more I read about it, it was like, yes, we all saw it at our video store, but it seemed like it was also kind of hard to get. Like there would maybe be one copy at the video store. On DVD, oh, they didn't make a ton of oh copies. Like, people didn't necessarily promote this movie in a huge way. And, like, if you look yeah, at the reviews, yeah. the reviews aren't great. Like, my boy Roger Ebert was not a huge fan of it. And it's like, I, I get... Cisco <laughs> <laughs> liked it. Cisco <laughs> liked it. Um, it's like, I totally get why you aren't a fan of it. But, like, I I appreciate it in yeah. a weird way. But, yeah, it's just like, I saw it way too young. It creeped me out. I didn't fully understand. But putting the cannibalism aside, but it's like, 
what if yeah, the scariest yeah. thing in your close circle is your parents, which is kind of, it means yeah. something different now as an adult, but I just thought that was fascinating. Here's a question. Do you think Bob Balaban made this no. movie for children? <laughs> Do you think that he made this movie as a horror movie for well, kids? Well, yes and no. I should say, I, I kind of feel like it was yeah. a warning to children of like, watch your parents and don't yeah. think they're perfect. But also it was absolutely a nod yeah. to all of the adults. Because I feel like calling your movie Parents, it did speak to kids. That's why we rented it, the sleepover. It's like Parents, and it yeah. had that yeah. cheesy cover. And like the prote- and yeah. Yeah. We knew this little, like this boy was in mm-hmm. it who was like close to our age. So I think like it was marketed yeah. in this weird way, marketed to kids in this weird <laughs> way. But yeah, then there's all the nods to adults that are just like, but for real though, our parents are all fucked up. But yeah. Yeah. This little boy in this movie, he just looks so haunted mm-hmm. the entire time. And there's uh, and there's lines that he's not eating too. Yeah. So you're thinking, is this little, is this poor child just He's a starving? super picky eater. Because he's and not he looks, wanting to eat anything that they're yeah, giving him. Yeah, he looks very thin, has yeah. the dark circles under his eyes. And yeah, they say it constantly. Like, he's yeah. our picky little eater. But he's always. Because mm-hmm, he doesn't want to eat any of the meat. Because it's people. Because it's people. Did you read that, like, theory in, like, IMDb trivia or whatever? That, like, the parents are somehow, the parents are somehow, like, witches? Oh, so there were some there are some weird little things in there like okay well like they moved from Massachusetts right mm-hmm. that's one thing but then another thing was that his like fun fact to the kids in school on his first day was the thing about like like butchering and cooking a cat and then doing a certain thing to the bones and it yeah. turns you invisible yeah and it's like a and that's like a spell i didn't even and think then, about like, that are they Salem And then witches? the dad, and then the dad at the end says, "Do you know what'll happen if you tell people about what right. we do? They'll burn us." Yep. Oh, interesting. He says so, they're going to find us and they're going to burn now us. Now that you're it saying this, I'm like, like, "Oh my god, they're witches! They are a thousand percent yeah. witches." Yeah. So yeah, they're just little tiny little things. He said one more the thing being burned. about. Yeah, he says one more thing to the girl that it's in the trivia about like why would he know this. You know, and it's and it's like a weird spell thing. And then I guess the uh, Randy Quaid working with working with chemicals and stuff was kind of like a like an alchemy kind of a sure like a nod to like alchemy or something like that. But yeah, the weird thing that he said at the end about like about if they find out they'll burn us, and I was like, that's weird. Why would he say that? Huh. So yeah, I never. I don't know that it's blatantly like this is a family of witches, but. It's kind of in there. It's like a theory that people have come up with because of these little hints that are thrown in there. No, I love this. Um, I want to give a yeah. shout out to Sandy Dennis. Yes! As the, I was um, just about to talk The about guidance counselor. As the guidance counselor. The guidance counselor <laughs> I mean, phenomenal. you got to hand it to Oscar, Winnie, Oscar winner her. Sandy Dennis. I mean, she shows up in this movie and I think she's really I good. I actually think she's so good. Honestly, mm-hmm. besides, I hate to even say this because he is young, but besides the little boy, I think everyone's performances are good. And the yeah, boy isn't yeah, bad. Yeah. I, think, he just, I think the boy's he's fine. fine. No, he's fine. I like, yeah. again, I will, I'm giving him credit and he was young, but he just, yeah. it felt like he was kind of giving the same face the whole movie. Just that like sure. look of, yeah. like you said, kind of just like lost looking 
aloof mm-hmm. and just like I. Some, some of his some of his dialogues are a little hard to understand sometimes because yeah. it's very like because he's, he's so like mumbly or whatever. But he's I know, little, so I'm like yeah. I'm not felting. I'm not gonna attack a child yeah, yeah. in this moment. But of course, you know I what's will. <laughs> you know what's wild. This is the same year Randy Quaid made Christmas Vacation. I know. <laughs> Chitters fall. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like a good weirdo in a blockbuster movie. Yes. And that weirdo in the 90s was usually Randy Quaid. Like, I mean, when he shows Independence up, Day. Yes. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Honestly, in Christmas Vacation, when he shows up in like their trailer, like every line he says from the moment oh, he yeah. arrives Gold. is so good. Yeah. It's so yeah, solid. Gold. And again, I thought he was so amazing in this movie. Creeped me the hell out. But he's just walking around his cardigan sweater and his yes. tortoise glasses. And he's trying yeah. to look like the all-American dad. But then he's just like, he has, when his voice gets soft and he comes in on his son, is like, I need you to go to bed right now. <laughs> when he pulls up like, next oh, to his what? son. <laughs> when he pulls up next to his son in the middle of the night. When the when the kids walking home, yeah. Oh my god, how I scary see, was that scene? It's just sport. too much. Yeah, like, you're like, and yeah, and it's a true <laughs> horror movie. So it's like this is I know movies that made us weird, and it did make me weird because it's a weird movie. But it yeah. also was part of the reason I got into horror. And I like I've said this to Ashley before. She was allowed to watch all these movies. I was not. So mm-hmm. I would have to go to sleepovers, and I remember like this movie specifically, and then the movie. Uh, Komodo about Komodo dragons that are like giant and eat people. <laughs> no, haven't heard of it. Of course you haven't. Komodo. Honestly, that could have been my movie that made me weird as well. <laughs> and so, even though I wasn't allowed to watch them, I always connect with Ashley in that like you would have been the friend that invited me over to watch these secretly in yeah, a sleepover yeah. because your parents were These cool. Forbidden movie. Because I had friends who were like, "Turn it off! I hate this! Like, don't tell me a scary story!" And yeah. I was like, "I'm kind of into this." And, like, parents absolutely did that for me. Yeah. One of my favorite memories of something like that at a birthday party of, I remember, we watched the beginning of When a Stranger Calls. (gasps) So good. And all of us were probably in, like, the sixth grade in uh, this girl's basement. Oh, man. And that opening scared the living shit. Yes, that opening scene. And I think that we had to turn off the movie. Which is fine because I feel like because <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. like us as eleven year olds could not have no the rest we yeah. didn't have the attention span yeah. for like the other then when like the chase scenes and yeah it's like you just needed yeah, that yeah. like mm-hmm. hit at the beginning oh my gosh but what but, yeah. a terror that that is I love it yeah but let me say this about parents though I mean the eighties as like we all know is like peak horror slasher you know we've got nightmare on elm streets coming out the wazoo making like of jason's taking a friday the 13th movie every, almost every year all the great yeah. slashers yeah. came out and there were really you know there were really great ones there are really bad ones sure. we love the bad um, ones too. but like we love the bad ones too but horror movies were very i mean the slasher was king at this point and you know uh like a psychological like spooky uh-huh. thriller like this was definitely not something that like i feel like kids or just people you know they wanted that horror they wanted that slasher that like, someone with a knife or a chainsaw you wanted young hot yeah. people that is the other thing that yeah. i love about this movie is like 
sorry to everyone in it, but nobody is like <laughs> a super hottie. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, you know, yeah, they're totally. looking like this basic fifties suburban family. But yeah. it's like, yeah, there's yeah. Mumsy from of... Strangers with Candies in it. Yeah. The eighties was also much like nowadays, there's like a eighties boom and like movies and TV People shows. People are discovering it. In now. the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the eighties it was all about the fifties. All about the fifties. Yeah. So there's that fifties. Everyone nostalgia. was focusing yeah. on you know, the fifties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got Back to the Future. We got all you know, Happy Days. We got all that stuff. And then is this? This might be one of the first fifties throwback movies that, like Scott said, examines it for yes. not happy really days. Yes. You know, at it. like this, let's not that there was some dark look, shit going on. Let's yeah. Look past this, and that. Yeah. Yeah, and people were not used to that. People were like, oh, the 50s, okay, we're all going to be in, like, Housewives. Question, yeah. did you two grow up on Erie, Indiana? I was too old for Erie, Indiana, so I, I did didn't. not watch it. I think it's, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that Erie, Indiana, Erie, Indiana only lasted, like, one season. But I remember they did an episode that's kind of always reminded me of Parents. Mm. Okay. And it's where... This uh, family moves in and they look like they're straight out from the 1950s. And you find out that the mom has been storing their family in Tupperware. <laughs> that they're actually from the 50s and they have not it. aged the day yep. since like 1957. Okay. And she their puts them to bed in Tupperware. Yeah. And that and is it always so reminded good. me of parents. Yeah. I love that because again, it's like it's this creepy look. And also Tupperware couldn't get more fifties than that. I mean, like of course on. they're in Tupperware. So you know what? So you know what else? I mistook this movie for about twenty-five seconds for another movie by the name of Meet the Applegates. Yeah. In which a family moves in and they're dressed like a perfect fifties family. No, but they're actually insects. Yes. Yeah. I have not seen it, but I know of it. Yeah. I feel like somebody told me about actually, I feel like it was when I was talking to somebody about this movie they're like oh the one where they're bugs and i was like what yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> no nope. I, I was like i was like was oh, that the one where the parents are like aliens or something they're like it's that bugs? same vibe though like, no, where we it. like you yeah. would never question the perfect 50s housewife until yeah. they're a bug and or you know, they're a candle you know. <laughs> Pete, this movie also reminds me of the toby hooper movie invaders from mars yeah sure. i think it's i think the it's same the vibe. I think it's the guidance counselor character that reminds me of the Karen Black. Oh, the Karen, yeah, it's Karen Black and Mm -hmm. Vader from Mars. I just love a guidance counselor character. They always end up. But I love that she's like. I, I love that she's like kind of like hippy dippy. She's wearing like caftans. We're into it. Like, yeah, taking us away from the typical 50s look. And it's like, you think that she's going to give him like an ink, like an ink blot. (laughs) Test. Totally. Yeah. Well, she kind of did. Like a she Rorschach. Did a what is, yeah. That scene yeah. of of Sandy in the closet. Yeah. In the pantry. Is, I think is really scary. The scary. No, that's what I'm is, saying. It, this and when she grabs terrifying. the knife. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, poor Sandy. <laughs> it's got this 50s aesthetic, but it was almost like overtly like the wallpaper and the kitchen was like these weird squiggly lines and like the they had the like the kidney bean coffee table totally. and like they went all, like it over was just the top super over the top right mm-hmm. but you know again to me i'm feeling like you know i, I don't know maybe in the hands of somebody like tim mm-hmm. burton like where you know would it have been a bigger hit if it was 
you know, unfortunately not, you know, Bob yeah. Batman, who was it, not a big I know, which I'm like, we love Bob, but it was yeah. a flop. And I do yeah. wonder if it, a different director could have made it something mm-hmm. more. I think it could have been boosted a bit more. I like mm-hmm. a lot of the ideas that have potential. It did yeah. need a bit more. And like, I almost, I know there was a, uh, not a heavy use, but I know there was a specific use of black and white. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if yeah. they ever considered just doing, doing a it in black and white, black yeah. and white cut of this movie. Ooh, that kind of, I feel like that would have yeah. hit more. I feel like it would have hit more too, but I also feel like the suits would have been like, nope, never. You're right, you're right. But I'm definitely glad we watched it. And again, it's on Tubi, streaming for free. Of course it's on Tubi. Because this brand of bullshit is just just right up Tubi's alley. The weirdest (laughs) movies you've ever wanted to find will be on Tubi. They're all on Tubi. Also, I I went for it and I rented it on Amazon because I was like, I'm going to get through it. I paid the money. $4 on Amazon if you want to know. It was Cotton Pete. Thank you for coming on. This was so much fun. Thank you so oh, much. This was so a lot of welcome. fun. Welcome. Yes. We love it. We love talking weird movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> before we officially head out today, before we do our close, is there anything you guys want to plug about your show? Like, tell us, give us a little spiel on your podcast. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're movies that made us gay. Uh, we kind of cover cult favorites in the mm. LGBT community. I mean, we talk about a, a say, very wide all. range of movies and genres. Yeah. That's what's kind of fun yeah. about our show. Yeah, they're not specifically gay-themed movies, but they're movies that the uh, queer community has kind of taken on as their own. Yeah. Right. And that we can identify that with. That we watched mm-hmm. a ton of times as a kid. We know all the dialogue. We probably shouldn't have been watching them, but we were, <laughs> much like the movies here. But really had, uh, you know, an impact on the the queer the queerdos that we turned into <laughs> queerdos. as as grown-ups yeah and um you know we're streaming everywhere you can find your podcasts apple Podcasts, spotify um all that good stuff if you want to follow us online mm-hmm. we're at movies that made us gay on uh instagram and on facebook and we are on twitter at mtmug pod mtmug pod love it um yeah so go out and find us we also have a patreon mm-hmm. with additional features and all that good stuff yeah. so yeah check us out yeah mm-hmm. go check them out thank you so much to all of our listeners for listening to this podcast and being a part of our weirdo community we love you oh so much if you are not already consider donating to our patreon page it is a great place for the weirdo community to connect and to give us a show. There are $1, $5, and $10 tiers, but honestly, just give whatever you can give. We appreciate it more than you could ever know. It helps us produce what we want to produce, and we want to keep the production value high for you, weirdos, so we love it. Thank you so much for those of you who give to us already. And in return for your generosity, we send our patrons two bonus episodes a month and a newsletter every month, along with any and all inside scoops and discounts on our merch and the merch you can find at keepitweirdpodcast.com slash merch. Get yourself a tote bag. Mine is now brown. It used to be white because I have worn it that often. It is so cute. It has our little cartoon faces on it. You can get a sweatshirt. You can get a shirt. You can get anything you want. Um, also, just check us out at keepitweirdpodcast.com to find out everything about our show. And if you have a fun little ghosty story for us for any of our listener ghost stories episodes, send us something at keepitweirdpodcast at gmail.com and check us out on all social media at keepitweirdcast. We love to respond to you guys on Instagram, and we also have our very fun Facebook page now at this point where we all just tell stories and send memes, and it's the best. 
And to wrap it all up, what is our sign off this week? Stop. Ooh. Hmm. So, uh, let's see. Our <laughs> sign off this week is <laughs> Togar. No. <laughs> Togar. <laughs> just, just like oh, Togar. No. Togar. Yeah, 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 Togar. No. Togar. But also, but also, fuck those poachers. So they got what was coming to them. Fuck them on. They got what they deserved. I was seeing if there was a way to like combine all of it. I was like, Togar. I mean, you just need to cut in. You just need to cut in lion roars. Yeah, just a roar. I know. And keep Keep it weird. weird. Oh, God. No.